You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good? All right. So uh, I got to be honest, uh, this is going to feel a little different than uh, maybe what you're used to. Uh, we, in youth, we do things a little different. Uh, we, we, we preach and we talk and we do things a little different. So we're going to bring a, a flavor of that. If you notice, uh, I'm in different gear than you usually see me. All right, some of you guys, ooh, bow tie. Um, This is uh, my teaching gear, okay? So if I'm teaching a new class or if I'm teaching a class that uh, uh, doesn't require me to get dirty, which I teach some classes that do, uh, this is is the kind of stuff I wear. And so I just wanted to be in teacher mode today. If that's okay with you guys, we're going to kind of learn some stuff, hopefully, and move forward. Everybody all right with that? Okay, let me ask you something uh, to start off. How do you plan? How do you plan? Okay, some of you guys might be very, very, like, organized. I'm not a super organized guy by nature. I have to work really, really hard at it, but some of you, that's your thing. You're like, you have lists for lists. You're like, number one, checklist A, two, four. <laughs> you know, you have them, like, categorized, right? And that's like Ted. Ted's the list guy. Ted's very organized. Uh, we get along great because we are not the same at all, uh, and, and it works, all right? So some of you guys are list people. Okay, other guys, this is how you plan right here. Something comes up. You get the quarter, right, and and you, somebody call it. Oh, where'd it go? There it is. Uh, Didn't flip that very well. It was tails, so you guys all lost. Um, So whatever plan you just had, that decided it. How many guys are coin flippers? Like, that's just when it comes up, it's just kind of whatever feels best at that point. It's kind of by chance, but you're just like, ah, it feels good. Let's go that way. All right, so you guys plan that way. So here's what I want you to do for like a couple seconds. I want you to talk to the people around you and the group around you, all right, and tell them how you, what kind of planner are you? How do you plan? Ready? Go. Talk. Okay, so now that you're starting to get a feel, how many guys heard somebody talk about a way of planning that you would never do? Raise your hand if you just heard something that, like, nope, that's not me. All right? See, that's okay, because here's the thing. We're all different. We know this. We all work under different personalities. We all have different giftings and different abilities. But the common thing is that we need to realize going into this is that God has a plan, right? And it includes you. We have to know this. We have to get this idea through our head that God has a plan. Throughout the Bible, what you see, whenever you look at any story, the Bible is a book full of stories about God and how he interacts with us. And in all those stories, you see the same thing. God always has a plan. All right? And, and if you look throughout the Bible, not only has that plan, is it there, it's been there since before we ever were created. Before the earth ever came into being, God had a plan. God had a resolution to your situation right now before you were ever created. What that means is we're never off plan. And that's both comforting and frightening at the same time. We are never off plan. There is never a place in our life, never a place in our life where we're not part of God's plan. 
It's not like we surprise him. <laughs> oh, that Ted, <laughs> he got me this time, <laughs> you know. That Ted, he's a planner. I didn't, I didn't think of that. All right, no, God, <laughs> right, God is so powerful and so knowledgeable, but it goes beyond that. He had a resolution to every situation, everything that was going to happen to us, all our sin, all our mistakes, all our good things, all our bad things are all part of God's plan. There's nothing that's not there. Okay? That, that is a huge concept to wrap our heads around. He planned for your mistakes. The things that you feel guilty or ashamed about, he's already planned for. The things you feel proud about, the things that you hold on to as things that you've done, he's planned for. And the thing is, they don't fit into our plans, they fit into his. He has an overall plan. Listen to what it says in, Jer- I, love, I love these verses. And we're going to read a couple uh, today. So uh, this is in Jeremiah, it says this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You guys ever heard that before? How many of you guys have that as one of your top ten favorite? It's one of my top. How many of you guys have that as a, like it would go on a coffee cup? It's like a coffee cup verse, right? This is the worst verse ever to put on a coffee cup, all right, if you think about it for a second. Because does anybody know the context of what this verse was put in? Like we know this one. Do we know the verses around it, what was going on? Anybody? Was it good or bad? It's very bad. Okay, so here, let me set the stage for you, okay? Just kind of put it in perspective. Because you're saying, well, God might not, I might not be part of God's plan right now. Maybe I walk through, we, we hear this all the time. I walk through the wrong door and God's not there. God's on, on either side of any door you walk through, all right? If you walk through a, a door that you feel like God opened for you, he's on the other side of that. If you walk through a door that God has closed and doesn't want you to walk through and you walk through it anyways, he's on the other side of that door too, all right? And so his plan doesn't, is not affected by our decisions. God's plan is good. And let me kind of tell you how I know this, because this story is about the Israelites, okay? And here's Jeremiah talking to the Israelites, and he says this right in the middle of saying, hey, you, just so you know, you're about to go into captivity for 80 years. You're going in, in, this, in this very couple verses around this, he's saying, you're going in, you're going to become slaves, just so you know, right? And it's not going to be good. You, it's, 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 You've gotten yourself here. You've dug a huge hole. The consequences are coming. It's going to be ugly. And then he says this. The Lord says, I have a plan for you, and it's a good plan. It's a plan to prosper you. It's a plan to grow you. It's a plan to make you good. Even in the midst of the worst thing you can imagine, it's a good plan. Can we start there today that God, no matter where you're at today, no matter how bad or good it is, that you are in the midst of a good plan If we can get there, if we can understand that, then the rest of it makes sense. So I need to put another part to this, okay? I think this is, this is, we need to kind of pull this apart because it's going to be both challenging and reassuring, okay? There's going to be parts of this message where we hear that God has a plan and you're not going to like what I say. Not because it's not, not because it's not biblical, not because I'm like preaching heresy or anything, all right? But you're just not going to like it. Do you realize that sometimes the Bible is offensive in nature, you guys ever felt that? Like you read something, you go, ooh, I don't like that. Anybody ever do that? Okay, if you've read the Bible to any length, you do that. You come across something, you're like, oh, no, no, I don't know God. You're wrong. God's like, no, never been. Um, right? And you're like, okay. So let's start with the good p- part. When God plans, he provides. Okay? God never has a plan that he doesn't provide. Okay, this is important. How many of you guys have ever built something? 
Have you guys ever tried to put something together? Okay. How many guys have ever planned for, like, I don't know, world domination? Any pinky in the brain fans in here? All right. All right. Here's the deal. What I want you guys to do right now is I want you guys to talk about a plan that you put together that worked and a plan that you put together that didn't work. What was the difference? What was the difference of something you planned for that worked and planned for that didn't work? Talk. Go. Okay, three times I've just heard somebody say it was my husband's fault. Uh, <laughs> I love that, because that's what my wife's saying right now. Uh, all right. Somebody tell me when you plan and it works, what, why? Why does it work when you plan? What are some characteristics of a plan that works? Say again? You follow directions. Follow through. Follow through. Okay, both are important. I don't tend to like to follow directions. I like to just take the parts and see how they fit together. Any people that put together stuff like that in here? Okay. Okay, I love that. That's my favorite because then I feel like I've accomplished something and I'm a genius because I made it work, right? But it never happens, so I never get that feeling. It always, I'm, I'm, you guys ever build something, get done, and there's like 30 extra parts, some which look critical, um, <laughs> you know, and you're like, that, that had to go in there somewhere, right? Okay. Uh, what goes wrong? This is easier. When you plan, why do your plans go wrong? Not planning enough in advance? You think you know better, right? Okay, you may not know this about me, but I teach a lot of different things. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher, and in my career as a teacher, I've, I've been able and, and blessed to be able to teach a bunch of different subjects. I like teaching a lot of things. And so uh, I, I've taught my, my main uh, uh, realm is the STEM realm, science and technology. I teach physics and math for a lot of years. Uh, I teach engineering now. I teach construction. I've taught finance. Taught a lot of things, right? And all of those things I'm talking about require a plan, okay? Especially construction, okay? How many construction people? I got any construction people in here? Handymen, people that work in the construction field, roofers, air conditioning, okay? Any of you guys ever not use a plan when you're doing that? Okay, everywhere I've ever been where construction work's do, going on, they have a blueprint. They have a construction drawing. They have electrical drawings. They have plans for the roofing. They have, they have their list of things they need to do. They have these charts that tell me when and where to do things, right? When I build a shed, okay, or when I build something with my construction management class, if we don't follow the plans exactly, it won't stand. Okay, it just won't. Okay, it, it's so tricky. Like when you're putting walls up in a house, it's not just putting them up. You got to make sure they're level. You got to make sure they're square to each other. You got to make sure that you're driving screws in at certain angles so that wind comes, it just doesn't pull it apart. Right? There's these, these rules and regulations, and then people got to come check it. Right? They've got to come and make sure you did it right. They, they look at it because how many of you guys have ever done something and realized that you need a second set of eyes because you don't catch everything? Right? This is how God works. His plans are complete. He provides everything you need in his plan. Okay, this is huge. Okay, this is huge. Because this is your blueprint. This is the this is the this is the information that you need to know what God is doing. Because when God did something with Moses, it applies to you. You know why? God hasn't changed. 
the same God that talked to Moses, the, the same God that Jesus prayed and, and interacted with, the, the same God that met Paul on the road to Damascus, the same God that dealt with James, the same God that dealt with Jonah, okay, and Job. All these stories tell us how God interacts with people, and God never changes. The blueprint, the plan doesn't change. It's been here since before the world was created. God didn't create the world, then came up with a plan. He had a plan and then created the world. And we have to remember that because we're part of that creation. We're part of that plan. So, so let's go to Isaiah real quick. Man, Isaiah is packed full of some good stuff. It's really long. It's 60 chapters. But at some point, sit down and struggle through Isaiah. You will come away with so much knowledge about Christ and how God works. Uh, it's amazing. It says this in Isaiah 5. I will sing for the one I love a song about the vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest of vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Okay, Isaiah is, is tricky. Okay? Isaiah is this knowledgeable guy who's called to be a prophet to the, to the nation of Israel. And he, he's at a party, right? And if you've ever been at a party, it's, it's just not socially acceptable to get up and start preaching. Okay? You ever been at a party where somebody gets up and starts preaching? Okay, I never have been, but it would be a little weird, all right, because you don't you normally associate those two things. So imagine they're at like a Mardi Gras-like setting. This is a big festival, a big party, and, and, and Isaiah has something he's got to tell them. Both it's encouraging and discouraging. And so he says, hey, can I sing you a song? And I was like, yay, a song, right? And he, just, and he, and he busts out his, you know, lyre or whatever, you, you know, his guitar, and he's like, I'm going to sing you a song about love. And everybody's like, oh, love. Sing us a song about love. How many of you guys have love songs that they have, like, if you had a playlist right now, that love song, like, gets you every time? Like, anybody? Ted, what's your love song? <laughs> Come on. You do too. What was the one you danced with to your wife, like, uh, like a couple years ago? Oh, you're horrible. Where's your wife? She remembers. Your first dance wedding song. What was it? You're horrible. <laughs> you are a horrible husband. <laughs> The bubbly guy. Okay, I like that guy. All right, mine is Forever and Ever, Amen, by George Strait. We danced at my wedding. If that comes on every time, I'm like, tear, tear. All right. Um, my wife, I don't know if she even cares, but I love that song. I know she does. She's more sentimental than I am. All right. You, we have these love songs. We want to know their love. We listen. We dial in. And Isaiah's like, let me put this in terms of love. You are loved so much by God, Isaiah says. It's like a vineyard. It's like this guy goes out and says, hey, I love you, love you so much, I'm going to buy you a vineyard. And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, maybe vineyards don't have the romantic Paul that they did back in Isaiah's day. You know, you want flowers or chocolate? Apparently people back then wanted vineyards. All right? So he says, look, I'm going to buy a vineyard. And look at how he pulls this apart. First of all, he thinks very carefully about where it's going to be placed. Right? He puts it in a place. He puts these resources, these things, in a place where they're going to work. He finds a fertile hillside, he says. He, 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 uh, like, he spends the money, he does the research, and he finds the best place to plant these vines. right? And he goes and prepares it. That's the other thing. He goes ahead of us and prepares it. He digs out the field. Like, he doesn't say, okay, here's, I bought you this place, it's yours, go, go make it. He digs out the stones. He tills the land. He does all the work. All the heavy lifting, all the things that are going to require work, 
God does. He digs it up, clears it of stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. The object here is growth, is fruit, is something amazing, and he plants it with the things that are going to grow. These vines are the ones that have been like over years developed and, and, and taken care of and, and, and engineered to, to grow amazingly. He's providing every resource. But it goes further. He puts a, he puts a watchtower and a wine press in it. In, in olden days, these would have been uh, huge expenses like, and not necessary. Okay, you could, you, you could watch the vineyard without a watchtower. You could press the grapes without a wine press. But these were, these were the equipment that were perfect for it, right? In other words, Isaiah is saying God sets us up for success in his plan. Now, the rest, if you read the rest of this, it doesn't go well. Because the, the next verse says, and it produced sour grapes. And he says, is this my fault? And so he's going to get into a part, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, where just because he sets us up and gives us a plan and gives us success does not mean we're going to do the right thing with it. It doesn't mean that everything's going to work out. This isn't a name it, claim it. This isn't a, you'll get what you want because you follow some formula. What it means is God has set you up to be successful in his plan, and he expects interaction. He, he leaves things for you to do, to grow, and out of that growth to produce fruit. Okay, if you look at the next verse uh, that we've got up here, it says this. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Uh, anybody in here do that? I'm a little tempted sometimes to be like, I want a fish. And then like sneak the snake in there and be like, aha, funny. God doesn't do that. All right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of a weird father in that. Uh, part of that appeals to me. <laughs> uh, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying if you, if you give sustenance, if, you, if your kids ask for food, you provide it. You don't provide something that's going to hurt them. You provide something that's going to help them. Um, uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Now, I don't think I'd go that far. Um, so if you who are evil, and he says, look, you're evil, and you know how to give good gifts. Do you realize that we were born with a sin nature? We're not good. That, that uh, view of humanity, that, that, that view of the enlightenment that says you're basically good, the Bible disagrees with. Jesus says we're basically evil, right? And if you think about it, we're sinful. We know that. And he says even you guys who are sinful, who have been corrupted by sin, have lived in it for so long, you don't know how not to live in it. You know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right? So he's saying, look, I've got a plan, and I'm going to give you everything you need to be a part of it. I'm going to give you everything you need. You don't have to go out and worry about it. You don't have to worry about where, where, where your next meal is going to come from or, or, or this job or that job. Those things, if you follow me, if you have relationship with me, will fall into place because I'm concerned about them. God is concerned about where you work. God is concerned that your children are fed. God, God is concerned about your physical and spiritual and emotional needs. And he says, look, I'm going to take care of you. If you can take care of you, if you have a natural desire to, to feed and, and clothe your children, think about how much more I care. So it takes away some of the worry. When we know that God not only has a plan, he's already provided, already provided, not will provide, not that you have to wait on it, he's already provided. This plan has been in existence before we were created. We have to keep that at the forefront. So what do we do with it? 
See, here's the thing. No plan is made with no challenges or expectations. God's plans have challenges and expectations of you. See, we want to think that God plans, and then we can choose to carry it out or not. But, but that's not what Scripture tells us. And this is the part that's harder to hear. God has a plan for you. You're either on plan or off plan. God has a plan for you. You're either on it or off it. It's hard to hear, isn't it? Because how many of you guys have something in this life that you want to be in control of and that you have a really hard time giving up to God? This is not one you can talk with everybody about. You don't have to. I'm not going to make you like, be like, well, this is where I'm unfaithful. Uh, no, I'm not going to make you do that. Okay? It comes down to faith. It comes down to knowing God. But we all have that. I don't care how spiritually connected you are. I don't care, care, care how long you've been being a Christian. We all have things we hold on to that we want our plan to supersede God's plan, we're even unwilling to check to see if God's okay with our plan because we're afraid he'll tell us no. Okay? Fear is a big deal. When you don't have faith, fear comes in. The reason we don't have a spirit of fear that the Bible tells us we're not given a spirit of fear is because we've been given faith. Faith in God removes fear. Faith in God's plan, knowing that God has a plan, being able to take that plan and look at it and pray about it and try to, to, to live on it takes away fear. Because think about it. When you're on plan, who's in control? I mean, we have, we have such a hard time grasping this, we meaning me included. When we're on plan, God is in control. When God is in control, if you've ever lived in that moment where we're just in your life, God is completely in control for the moment. You don't fear anything. It's weird to me that we can have those moments and then revert back to old ways of living. But we do it. And, and that's where discipline and, and, and being able to know what God speaks and what the Bible says comes in and saves us from ourselves. Look what it says. Uh, so my brothers, uh, Paul is Paul's very to the point sometimes. Uh, pretty much all the time. You also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. You are not your own. Whether you know Christ or you don't know Christ, you have a debt to God. He created you. He made you. And he's saying, when you come to salvation, it's with a realization you're finally putting yourself in the right place, that you are no longer your own. Your plans are not yours. Now, that's hard. It's really hard to hear. I, I am very independently minded. I don't like anyone telling me what to do. Okay? I don't like anybody suggesting that my plans aren't perfect. All right? It, it, it chafes at me. It's like, oh, but you're so wrong. My plans are so good. Right? And I don't always say that, but I am sometimes arrogant, and it comes out. All right, I, I struggle with that. I think I'm right. I just do, okay? Or, or, okay, look, you marry people right now, okay? You don't have to just look at each other, okay? And the person that is the one that tends to be right all the time, go ahead and wink at the other one, okay? Go ahead. It's just between you married people. Nobody else look, okay? You just handle your own business, all right? You guys know in your family, my wife is sitting there laughing right now, all right, because she knows that that is me. I've got to be right, all right? But the problem with that is I do that with God, not just with my wife, just not with my kids, not with my associates, but with God. Who we are is who we are. 
And the only person who can change that is God. The only way we can start to acknowledge that God's going to change that is acknowledge that God's right. He has a plan for you. He wants you to be in Christ. You're owned by Christ once you know him, which we're going to find is a really good thing. It sounds kind of troublesome, but it's good. And here's the thing. The last of that ends with this, and it does most of the time when God's talking. To bear fruit. Okay, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Bearing fruit is purely for the purpose of other people. You do not bear fruit for yourself. Bearing fruit is the most unselfish act ever. Because think about a tree. How often does a tree eat its own fruit? Like never. I, I've never seen one. I want. If you have one of those trees, I'm totally intrigued. I want to come over and watch that. Okay? But a tree's whole purpose, we plant trees to produce fruit to sustain something else other than the tree. Okay? Fruit is used to sustain other people. So God is using you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, not only in your relationship and growing with him, but so other people will know him. See, here's where God's plan revolves. It revolves around him and other people. God's plans do not revolve around us when we're included, other than to carry them out. See, God uses Ted to speak into my life. Very rarely does he use me to speak into my life. There's a whole ego issue there that I'm pretty sure God is avoiding altogether. Okay? So he uses Ted to speak in my life. He uses my wife to speak in my life. Sometimes he uses my kids. That's humbling. How many of you guys have ever been doing something and your kid goes, Daddy? Well, it'd be hard if you were a woman, but, or mommy. Why are you doing that? That's illegal. Going, going 70 in a 45 isn't right. But I've got a really fast truck, and I'm only renting it for a week. I, that just happened last week, and I felt bad, because I'm like, what am I teaching my kids? Uh, but it was really fun. Um, <laughs> but they, they do it all the time. They say stuff, and I'm like, oops. You know, how many guys have ever said something that you wish you hadn't said, only later to hear it repeated out of your children's mouth? How bad do you feel? Okay? I'm just saying, like, oh, I can't even, like, I, I, I need to punish them right now, but because they said something they're not allowed to say, but who taught them that word? I did. Who taught them to speak to each other like that? I did. Oh, just drives me nuts. Okay, fruit. When we follow God's plan, we produce fruit. We're expected to. The whole thing in Isaiah, the problem God is going to have with Isaiah in, in this story, in the people of Israel, is that he set them up with every good thing to be successful, and they still produce rotten fruit. He even asks, whose fault is this? Is it mine? I set them up for success. And the people of Israel have no choice but to answer, no, it can't be your fault. And that's hard, too, because when we look at our plans and we look at what we do versus God's plans, and when we take over and things fall apart, we want to blame God. Don't we? Don't we want to say, God, why didn't you intervene? Hey, God, why didn't you stop that from happening? God, why, why do you allow good things to happen to bad people and bad things to happen to good people? We want to look to God, and God says, I have a plan. I always have, and it's a good one. And it's almost like he turns the table on us and says, why did you produce bad fruit? Will you go back and look? Will you go back and look and see where we got off plan? And sometimes the answer is we're so off plan as a world 
that sin is, is starting to do things like make people sick and make the world fall apart. We've been off plan as a generation for so long that it's affecting the whole world, not just us. See, think about creation. Think about this idea that, that God created a perfect world with a perfect economy, and it had purpose. Adam and Eve did things. They didn't just sit there and, like, you know, do nothing. And, and, and Revelation even speaks to a world when Jesus comes back that's going to have purpose and economy and things for us to do, right? It was an interesting world. It was, an, uh, it was a world completely on plan, and one day we're going to go back to a world completely on plan. It was never meant to be this way. And the best thing we can do in this generation is to go back to that plan. We, not, we probably can't fix what's gone wrong for generations completely. But we can take ownership of our part and realize that we have a purpose and we have a plan and God wants us to do something today, tomorrow. He has expectations. He says this, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm, be filled, right? But you don't give them anything which they need for the body, what does it profit? How many of you guys have good intentions and don't follow through? God says good intentions in my plan is not enough. James, who, who wrote this, is getting after the church. He's saying, look, you're saying all these good things. You're coming, and this is going to hit some people at home, and, I, and, and I'm not trying to be offensive here. You come to church on Sundays. That's great. But what do you do the rest of the week? Coming to church is important because we get fellowship. I'm not telling you not to come to church. By all means, come. But the idea of church is this is the starting point of your week. This is where you get encouraged and supported and give knowledge and, and get taught to go out to the rest of the week and do something with it. If you're not doing anything with what you learn on Sunday, then Sunday is an effort that is just good intentions with nothing behind it. And guys, I'm as guilty of that as anybody. There's Sundays where I come and I listen and I just have the worst week ever. Okay, So I'm not talking to you like I'm not one of you. I'm talking to you as one of you. I'm talking to you as someone who struggles sometimes on coming on Sundays and applying it the rest of the week. But the purpose in this, the reason God gives us resources, the reason he puts expectations is, is it works when we do it the way he planned it to. And it can't work if we're outside that plan. It can't. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're discouraged. You, won't, you don't even admit it to some people. Some of you are sitting here discouraged and no one would ever know. But you're discouraged. Some of you guys are more vocal. We're well aware you're discouraged. Okay. <laughs> Um, and, and that's good. We like to know. Okay, You're much more vocal than others. Some of you guys are sitting in here and you're upset and you're mad and you're, and you're wondering if God is who he says he is. You're wondering if God can really do. Your faith is shaken. Or you're wondering if it's even worth having faith. You're scared because you've been running your life and you can't get it right. And there's things that you've been hoping for and pinning your hopes on and they're not coming through the way you want them to. And if you're a Christian and you've believed all your life, it really makes it hard to understand how God's plan is good. I'm struggling with that sometimes right now. Okay, for those of you guys who don't know, my son, my son got hurt a couple months ago. I'm really struggling with that. It's really hard as a father to watch your son go through stuff, right? And then on top of that, 
I get hurt in an accident. And then other things happen. I'm like, God, where the heck are you? <laughs> right? My faith is not big enough right now to handle all of this. And I'm struggling. And God says, that's okay. Because I got a plan. I can see it. You'll be all right. And that's comforting. Hard to hear sometimes, but comforting. So again, if you're going through something, I'm with you. I'm one of you. I'm not, not preaching from up here from like, this is how it should be. I never go through any of this stuff, but you guys go through it, so take this and do something with it, all right? No, this is the stuff that's keeping me alive right now. God has a plan. It's a good one. He has expectations even when it doesn't go the way I expect it to go. And somehow, some way, this is all going to be good. Try, it, it, it's one thing to say it, Try explaining it to an 11-year-old boy who can't walk. Try explaining it to kids in school whose parents abandoned them during Christmas. Try telling that kid God has a plan. Right? Just because God has a plan doesn't mean it's easy for us to accept it. Doesn't mean we still don't live in a sinful world. It doesn't mean we, we, we don't mess it our part of it up. I mean, God has planned for all of it. And he has, in the midst of this, expectations of us. Love him, produce fruit, love others. What are the two greatest commandments, right? Jesus says, love God, love others. We're expected to do that. We're expected to grow. Okay, right now, how many of you guys know you want to open your Bible this week? Again, this is rhetorical, don't. This is not one of those things where uh, it's, a, it's a shaming thing. I just want you guys to think. How many of you guys know you want to read your Bible this week, but also know you won't do it? How many of you guys know that you need to pray more? That part of the reason you're failing is you're not setting yourself up for success by connecting with the very person who has the plan. If I'm going to go build something major, and there's a foreman, and I just go start hammering wood together. These two pieces look like they go together. <laughs> Yeah, we'll put these together and build this wall. I don't know what I'm building. I don't know what order I'm in. Here's the thing. I might know how to build walls. I do know how to build walls. I'm great at building walls. My walls are awesome. People come and look at like, you should take this wall on tour. I'm like, I know, right? All right. They're that good. But just because I'm good at walls, does it mean it's time to build the wall right now? If I build the wall before someone comes and lays the foundation, aren't I wasting my time? What if that foundation is a little different than I thought it was going to be? If I build those walls and drill all the holes before the electrician or the plumber tells me where I need to put those things based on what they're doing, does my wall make any sense? See, just because we're good at something, just because we know what our calling is, just because we know what we're supposed to do, doesn't mean God wants us to do it right now. See, some of you guys might know that God's called you something and you're frustrated right now because it's not happening. God's expectations of, of you are to get ready for that and be patient. It's coming. God doesn't promise things ever and then not come through. But he asks us to be flexible and understand that his timing is more important than ours. Okay. <clears throat> Here's the thing. God's plans can be clearly understand understood when we focus. Okay. How many guys have ever used a microscope? Telescope? Glasses. 
How many of you guys have ever been joking all around at a restaurant and put the glasses up to your eyes like they're binoculars? <laughs> My wife hates it when I do that. She's like, we're in a nice restaurant. All right? <laughs> Reminds me of a funny story. I'm not going to tell it, though. All right. Uh, <laughs> just ask my wife sometimes, how, someday, when you see her, uh, how I proposed to her and how that went down. Um, so, um, because I was all kinds of serious, and she thought I was being an idiot, which is totally justified. Um, don't mind, don't, don't understand, but, but it's a funny story. All right. Here's, look at what he says in Revelations. But I, he's talking to what's going wrong in the churches, right? So John is saying, look, churches, you established churches. This is what's wrong, and this is what's good. And for the most part right now, he's talking to the church of Ephesus, and they do a lot of good things. They do a lot of good works. They've persevered through a lot of persecution. There's a lot of things they have in the pro column. But he says, I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. Therefore, keep in mind how far you've fallen. Repent and perform the deeds you did at first. Your first love should be God. Should be your relationship and your walk with Christ. That should be what you love. See, but here's what we do. Okay, we all have a blank. I prioritize blank over Christ. I prioritize, fill in the blank. We all have it. Some of you have multiples. You have other things that got to be taken care of, and when those things are taken care of, you get to Christ. And he says, you've lost your first love. You, and for some of us, it's even, and this is true of Ephesus, it's even the church. You love doing youth ministry more than you love me. God accuses some of us at times. And he's right. I love doing youth ministry. And sometimes that gets ahead of God. Isn't that messed up? Like the very thing I'm supposed to be doing for God turns into something I'm doing for me? Guys, it's easy to do. You get into to serving God and serving the church and a couple people pat you on the back and say, you're a good Christian. You're like, yeah, I am. Right? And, and, and then, then you start believing it. And then you start loving what you're doing more than you love who you're doing it for. It's easy. And, and guys, gosh, it's hard in this world, isn't it? I want to have nice clothes. I want to live in a nice house. I want to have a nice job. I want to have satisfaction in what I do. I want to have purpose. And we start chasing those things, and all of a sudden, those things, we love the chase more than we love God. We've got to refocus. If this is going to work, we have to understand a couple things. We have to refocus and go back to our first love. We have to understand that God's plans very rarely are the same as our plans. And by God saying, my plans are good, and not saying anything else, he's kind of saying, your plans aren't. Anytime your plans go against my plans, if my plans are good, your plans aren't. And we don't like to hear that. Anybody like to hear that? Anybody in here love being told you're absolutely wrong and your plans stink? I hate it. It's like the worst, right? And every now and then I'll be like, this is such a great plan. And then I'll defend it and defend it and defend it. And then Ted's right. And I hate that. <sighs> like my dad, he was always right. The thing was, he was always right. Like he'd, been, he'd lived and done so many things that when I told him to be like, oh, that'll never work. I'd be like, no, you don't understand my plan. My dad's like, no, look, it's against the laws of physics, the world, and all that is good. It won't work. And I'm like, okay, tell me what you really think. I don't like hearing that. It's really hard to hear from God. I don't know why. I love God. But it is hard. I, I, I suspect it's my sinful nature, rebelling against what God is telling me. 
See, there's me, there's the flesh, or the things that I want to do, and then there's things that God is looking that's a little bit more eternal, right? A little bit more... meaningful, purposeful. See, here's the thing. We're going to get to heaven one day, right? And what plan will have withstood? And that's what God's basically saying. My plans are for all of eternity. Before all of eternity, through all of eternity. I've existed as long as my plans have. And they've never failed. And they have purpose. Your plans have existed for about this long and have zero perspective. I mean, think about that. In the scheme of things, eternity is, and our little place in it is microscopic. So the greatest plans we have have the perspective of what we can see. At best, recorded history. Maybe we're with those people that are like, well, I have studied and I have learned from history. Because those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. That's awesome. You sound so scholarly when you say that, and I'm like so impressed. I really am, because I like to say that and sound impressive too, right? But the reality is, how long has recorded history gone on, and how long has it been successful? If you've learned anything from history, man sucks. We're horrible. Think about it. What good thing has man done that outweighs the bad things we have done? Right? I'll put it in perspective for you, Okay? Like, well, we've done good things. We, I'm going I'm to go back to World War II. We fought Hitler. Who allowed Hitler to come into power in the first place? That was not God's plan. <laughs> I have no idea where it's going with that now. Okay. I know where I'm at now. Okay. Here's the thing. Every good thing that we've done, we've probably caused the bad thing in the first place. Right? Not probably we did. It's not like just bad things happen. Guys, you, you, there's some of you sitting in here, well, the world's falling apart. That's our fault. We don't take care of it. Let's just be honest. Right? Well, sickness and disease, and bad, that, that's our fault too, I think. Because where does sickness and disease come? The fact that we have not managed the world well. Right? Pollution is not God-made, that's man-made. Okay? I'm not going to go into this like global warming or all that kind of stuff. I have differing views and probably some of you do. But I can tell you we have not managed the world well and we still don't. Even in the best of situations. Right? Why do housing bubbles burst? Why do financial things go wrong? Because man is greedy. By nature. Our plans when they diverge from God's plans, are not good. Our plans are supposed to be aligned to God's. We're supposed to focus in and say, what is God's plan? And then look at ours and see how well they fit. Guys, if you're going to do anything in this new year at all, please, I'm, I'm just wanting you to think about this and consider this. Spend some time studying how God's plans work. Read some stories in the Bible that tells you how God sustained Moses. Old Testament's valuable. It's full of stories. Sometimes it's a little confusing. Sometimes it's a little hard to read. But don't skip it. Because reading about Job tells you everything you need to know about God in the midst of suffering. Reading about Jonah tells you everything you need to know about how God deals with people who are reluctant to follow him. Reading about Moses tells you everything you need to know about people who don't think they're good enough to do what God says he has for them. 
God has a plan in every situation. He's pretty much given us a story to cover it all. It's in here, I promise you. See, when we learn to focus on God, who God is, rather than on what we are not, we see that God is working in us to do the very thing he has proposed to do in our lives. As we learn to run the race, we accept his batons and we submit to his training. God's work in and through us, always growing and is always increasing. Christ in us becomes an unstoppable force. You want to feel unstoppable? You want to feel like your plans work? You want to feel like you have purpose? Connect to Christ. You become unstoppable. There, there is nothing that can stop the person that's dialed in. You ever see that person? The world is crumbling around them. I'm like, that's okay, I got Jesus. Like literally, their house is falling in. They're in the middle of it. And they're like, ah, okay, that beam's about to hit me in the head, but I got Jesus, so I'm okay. I want to be that person. I want to be that person that my world is crumbling around. I'm so connected to Jesus, I can still see his plan. But I can't do that unless I focus. I can't be that unstoppable force. See, an unstoppable force does not care what's in front of it. It's unstoppable. An unstoppable force doesn't worry about roadblocks or, or things that are slowing it down. It's unstoppable, and it knows it. I want to be unstoppable. The only way I can be unstoppable is to connect to Christ. And, 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 and that's huge. Here's the thing. We've got to understand this. Ready for the big, the big takeaway? And then I've got a couple of things for you guys to go with to, to work on this week. You guys ready? Okay, this one's going to be hard to hear. God's plans glorify him, not us. We are here purely for God's glory. His plan is to glorify himself. And some people don't like that. They're like, well, that's egotistical of God. That's, that's not very humble. But if you think about it for a second, it logically makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? If God is perfect good, if God is all that is good and all that is perfect, and, and, and the extreme example of everything that's good, wouldn't it be right to glorify all of that? Don't we do that by nature? Don't when we see somebody act selfless or do something amazing for other people, don't we glorify that person? Isn't it our nature to say, man, that was amazing, the thing you did. And God's the epitome of that. So God knows the best thing for us is to glorify him. Because we're glorifying everything we want, if we think about it. And when we glorify him, when he is most glorified, this is the part that we have to believe. When he is most glorified, when our ultimate goal is to glorify him in everything we do, we are absolutely satisfied. Now maybe some of you have not experienced that yet. But I promise you, if you're focused becomes on glorifying God and learning his plan and following his plan. And the purpose of following his plan is not for you, but to glorify him. You will find yourself immensely satisfied with life. See, Adam and Eve weren't like, you know, they got like kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They're like, oh, God, that's over. That was a burden. <sighs> I mean, it's not we got the whole childbirth thing is going to suck, but, but man, that was a lot of work. God, no, they were completely satisfied. They were, they were heartbroken and devastated, right? Look at any story. Look at David. When, when he separates from God, he is devastated. And when he connects back to God, even though there's consequences, he is elated. We're never not satisfied when we're following God because God has our best interest because he's ultimately good, has our best interest at heart. Knowing him is in our best interest. 
Glorifying him is in our best interest. And when we buy into that, it changes how we view life. It changes how we go to work. It changes how we look at our kids. Hopefully it changes how our kids look at us. You know, when, hopefully when I die, my, my biggest thing when I die is that my kids can say he was a good man. He taught us how to follow God. I hope they don't tell all the other stories unless they're really funny. And then I want my funeral to be kind of funny right? when it goes. I want good humorous stories. But I also want somebody to stand up and say he was a good man. He loved God. I want my kids to be able to say he taught us how to love God. I'm not always good at that. I wish I was perfect at it, but I'm not. But I do get this idea that, that I've experienced enough of it to know that when I'm truly following God, I'm truly happy. I'm truly full of joy. I'm truly satisfied. So we're going to run through these real quick, right? It says four ways to participate in God's plan. I can't count. There's only three. I do that complicated math, that simple math, not for me, all right? <laughs> I just now caught that stupid typo. I'm really mad about that. <laughs> I went over this like 18 times looking for stuff like that. Oh, I even have it in my notes. Wrong. Oh. Okay, knowing God gives perspective. The first way we can participate in God's plan is to know him. By knowing him, by pursuing him, by making it our ultimate goal to daily, weekly know him, we can know his plan, we can know how we fit into it, we can know us. See, God created you, period. He knows you better than you do. So when you know God, he reveals things about you that you didn't even know. He reveals that you're strong. He reveals that you don't have to worry because you are prepared and equipped for what's coming. He tells you you're not weak, you're not dumb. You're not poor. You're not these things that hold us back. He says, you are my child. I have created you with every good thing. You have nothing to fear because I am on your side. Isn't that who you want to know? You have to start knowing him. I have to start knowing him better. You'll never know him completely. He's infinitely more than we can know. But just getting a piece of knowledge of God takes us to places we can't even imagine. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're called to a different country and you're afraid to go. But God has amazing things if you go. Some of you guys are called to go to work and do the jobs you have because he wants to create a funding source for a, uh, uh, something he has that will see people come to him and you're afraid to give because you're not knowing how you will survive if you give what God's asking you to. This is not a place where we say give, give, give and God will will buy you a Mercedes. We, we, we don't believe that. Okay, but we do say God has you working where you're working because he has a purpose for what you're doing. He has a plan for what you make and some of it goes to you and some of it goes to other people because we're supposed to love God and love others, right? And that's hard for a lot of us. Money's hard. Some of you guys are worried about your marriage, that you're not going to be big enough to overcome things that are going on. <clears throat> Read these stories about people that had the same struggles you did. Pray. It's that simple. Guys, the Bible, we're told, is a light unto our path. Okay, how many guys have ever been to a camp in the middle of the woods? Or gone camping? Or anything where you're in the middle of the woods at night? How many guys have ever been lost in the middle of the woods at night? That's scary, okay? I lived in Arizona, as you know, and I talk about it a lot, because um, it's the greatest state ever. Um, <clears throat> 
I'm just going to stop now. Um, but for a while, I lived in Oregon. For two years, I lived in Oregon. And so the forests of Arizona are very open. There's a lot of sunlight that makes its way down. The forests of Oregon are not. People drive off the road and crash in the forests of Oregon, and no one ever finds them. And so I, got, I decided to go wandering one day, and all of a sudden I looked around, and it wasn't light outside anymore, and I couldn't see anything, and I didn't know where I was. And so I sat down and had a little cry. Right? And it's like, this is, God, I don't want to get eaten by a bear. These are the things that come to me. I made my way out of it eventually, but just because I wandered to a street that I had no idea, and then that guy took me to where I wanted to go. All right? which is scary because you think about every horror movie you've ever watched. You're like, you want to flag down a guy, he's a big trucker with a, you know. I'm like, I'm going to die <laughs> by trucker. Um, but God had a plan. God, God knows where we're going. God, it's worth knowing him. It's worth the effort, the time you're going to take out of your day. Okay, I'm going I'm to say something that's personal. Get off your apps and open the Bible. Okay, I'm just going to, just call it like it is. I'm addicted to stuff like that, all right? It's so easy for me to get, like, I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. And then, like, three weeks later, I'm like, oh, that's cool, all right? And next thing I know, I'm crushing candy for life, all right? <laughs> get off your apps. Set down the, the remote control, right? Whatever it is you do that's distracting you from God, don't, you don't have to get rid of all of it. You just have to set it down once in a while and replace that with some God stuff. I bet you if you do that, pretty soon you'll be finding yourself reading the Bible more than you do anything else because it's an adventure, but until you start, until you're willing to put that down, and here's the thing, you're going to get knocked off path because we have an enemy. The Bible is very, very clear. And once you get connected to God and once you start reading and once you start praying, Satan is going to do everything he can to distract you, and he's good. He's going to, he's going to make you not have enough money to feel like you can get through the month. He's going, to start a, he's going to pick a fight with your husband or wife. He's going to have your kids act like little brats. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be like, I need to get away from this all. Where's the candy? need to crush it. And God's saying, no, no, come back. Run to me. I got a plan for all this. Okay? Seek ways to use God's resource. That's number two. Okay? Oh, let me read you a verse real quick. It's a cool verse. I like it. Paul says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is their shame. That's a rough way to start a passage, isn't it? Any verse. He's talking about people who don't follow God. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Know where you're from. You're God's, and you're going back there one day. Live like it, is what Paul's saying. And we eagerly await a Savior from the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at ways to use God's resources. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let me make sure we understand that. That does not say if you give a lot of money, you'll get a lot of money. Do not read that that way. Because that is not what the, the verse says. It says when you give and you're generous and you plan the way God plans, you will reap more than you ever imagined. And it will come in ways you don't expect. How many guys right now in your life would give every penny you had if you just felt strong enough to deal with the ordeals going on in your life? Every penny just to feel strong enough. How many guys would give every penny to be able to lay aside some old guilt? See, it's not about money. It's about things so much more important than that. 
And when you use God's resources, and resources aren't just money either, you are gifted to speak, you are gifted to sing, you are gifted to be patient and hold a screaming baby, God bless you. That is not my gifting. You're gifted to change diapers, also not my gifting. All right? I like to hold the kid until they do something, and I'm like, oh, here's your baby back. All right? But some of you guys have that heart of like, this dirty diaper right now, in your head, you're affecting the kingdom of God, and you're right. Because when people are cared for from a young age in the church, they don't walk away. The most, I think the two most important ministries we have, and not just because I run one of them, are children's ministry and youth ministry. If we are not serving our children, we're not serving our youth with our resources, with everything we've got, there's a reason only 16% of youth stay in the church after high school. We have resources. We have ability. Just because you're not a leader in the youth group or a leader in children doesn't mean you can't pop in once in a while and tell them about your life and share a little bit of it. It's not the only ones. We have lots of ministries, but it's just a good example. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all contentment and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That sounds pretty good. God says, give what I have provided for you. I don't plan without providing. The provisions are there. You've already been given them. You're already talented. You're already gifted. You understand the Bible is very clear. There's no one sitting in here that does not have a gift or a talent. Some of you have more than others. Bible's clear about that too. Some of you have different ones. Some of you have showy ones. Some of you have behind the scenes ones. God's calling you to use them for his glory, for his kingdom. That's part of his plan. Think how awesome that is. Just let that sink in for a second. We're almost done. Let that sink in for just a second. God's plan includes you. What God has planned for the masses, for the centuries, for the years, for the kingdom of God to grow involves you. God has a unique role for you to play in that. God has a place that only you can fill. That's cool. How many guys have ever wanted to been picked first on the softball team? Like, how many guys sat in the, in the yard and they're like, they're picking the team and you're like, you're always last because you're only like four foot and everybody else is six. And they're like, well, you're too short. I'm like, what does short have? My strike zone's awesome. Pick me. It's like this big, I'll walk every time. Right? I think we all have that a little bit, that desire to feel like we were picked, like we're good enough. And God is telling you, you are. I created you. You're not only good enough, you're perfect. You'll get picked first in this every time because I made you for it. Seek ways to use your gifts. I'm going to finish with this verse. And it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. The purpose to equip the saints for works of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ. God uses people in the church to build the church. He won't do it without us because he said he'll do it with us. He will wait on us and he will wait on us and he will wait on us to do what he's called us to do. And we wonder why sometimes things don't work. Because God will wait and allow the consequences of our actions to take fullness 
but he wants you to be in. He wants you to have purpose. And he wants other people to serve you in ways that only they can do. And so if you're not here being served and serving, then people are missing out. People who could truly know God. Think about this for a second. How many of your neighbors even know you know God? How many of your coworkers know? How many of you is it just awkward to even say the name Jesus when you're not at church? Don't feel bad about that, but change it. The way you'll change it is by knowing him. The way you know him is by understanding what he's put in front of you, what resources he's given you to grow and by using them. It's, it's real circular. If I'm not using my resources, if I'm not using what I'm made for, God, I can't know God better because that's part of it. Guys, I want to challenge you this week. God has a plan. Do you know what it is? Do you know how you tie into it? If you do, are you following it? Are you pursuing it? Are you growing in it? Start small. If you don't read the Bible, read something this week. Just try it. Read a passage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest Mark. If you've never read the Bible, I'm going to suggest Mark. Mark is the easiest Bible book in the Bible, I think, to read. Mark is this guy writing for another guy that's trying to make it real clear to people who don't necessarily theologically have depth yet. And so it's very, very clear, his stories of Jesus. You want to understand Jesus? You want to start understanding some of these stories? Start with Mark. If you guys are like looking for something really, you know, you guys that have been in this for a while, you want to chew on something really, read Romans. Knock yourself out. Be confused along with the rest of us. All right? Romans is tough. But get in there. Wherever you're at, start reading more. Pick something. Read a story about Moses. Read a story about Jonah. And pray. I'm begging you, pray. This week, if you don't pray a lot, set aside two or three times where you're going to pray. And it's going to feel awkward at first. Okay? How many of you guys have ever stopped talking to somebody for a while for whatever reason, and then you decide it's time to talk to them again? How awkward is that? Right? You know what I'm talking about. So, weather's nice. Thanks for the weather, God. Appreciate that. It's sunny outside. It's not raining. Start there. There's nothing wrong with that. God will take you to deeper places. God will take you to deeper places. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you care enough about us to include us in your plan. You didn't have to and you don't need to, but you do. God, we pray this week as we go forward, all of us, that we're trying to understand that plan in our lives and understand how we fit into it. Your your plan is so clearly laid out in the Bible. And God, help us know it. Help us respond to it. Help us grow in it and have purpose. God, as, as we move into this new place, that we see it as a, as a place that you didn't plan for us to be more comfortable, but you planned for us to do more work for you, for your kingdom. God, as we go to work, that we look around us and see, how do I show God to these people? Not just by doing a good job, but by using my words. God, how do I serve people? How do I, how do I give up my life to you? God, for those of you, them that don't know you, that tonight, today, right now, in their seats, they'll just say, God, I want to know you. I'm a sinner. Forgive me, because that's all it takes. I want to be in your plan, and your plan is for us to know you. If that's you, pray that prayer. It's that simple. God, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. 
I run my own life and I know I need to give it to you. For those of you guys that know God, it's so easy to get distracted. Pray right now that God connects you to where he wants you to go next. That God gives you a hunger for his word and a hunger for communication with him. Pray that he resets your heart, that your focus is re-brought into him. God, we love you and we thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Sean. Let's give it up. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.